Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining me on this edition of Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I'm excited to share three really great guests with you. First up, I'm going to get a return visit from 18-year industry veteran of uh, club research design and development. Michael, uh, Michael Verska will be back with me, and not only is Michael a wonderful design expert. He's just a fantastic guy on top of all of that. So I really look forward to sharing some time with Michael here in just a few minutes. Following Michael, I'll get a return visit from PGA Pro and one of the greatest chippers and putters of all time out on tour, and that's Kenny Knox. Kenny has a has become a wonderful friend of the show over the years. We'll get some more chipping and putting tips from Kenny, plus his memories of you know playing in the Masters, starting with his rookie appearance back in 1986, and we all know what a wonderful uh, tournament, maybe the, the greatest Masters of all time back in 86. So Kenny's going to join me a little bit later on in this half hour. We'll round out the show by talking with one of the great golf instructors anywhere on the planet, and that's Brian Jacobs. Brian is a lead instructor on the Golf Channel's Golf Academy. He's, a lot, he's got a lot of great instructional videos available on his YouTube channel as well. High, highly recommend that. Do a search for Brian Jacobs Golf out on YouTube and see a lot of the great uh, videos that Brian has available there. He'll join me about 45 minutes from now. So we got a lot of great stories and instruction coming your way on this edition of Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for being here and taking the journey with me over the next hour. Next on the Tee is sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our good friend Steve Rondonero about all the great things they've got going on up there. Play the courses the champions play. The Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses at French Lick Resort. The 2017 NCGOA National Course of the Year our Pete Dye course hosts the first-ever Senior LPGA Championship presented by Old National Bank this July. French Lick's Donald Ross course is looking good as it turns 100 this summer and hosts the Donald Ross Centennial Classic Symmetra Tour event. Book your golf vacation now at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, be sure to go to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great it is and to book your stay. And speaking of great, if you joined me a few weeks back, you heard about the meteoric rise of the Bradley Putter Company, going from concept back on Black Friday to one of the, the uh, sensations at the PGA Merchandise Show in January. Bradley Converse, owner of Bradley Putters, joined me last month, and we're proud to be partnering with Bradley to, to promote uh, what a great, unique line of outstanding putters that he's got. And they're made from burl wood, folks, and I'm telling you, these are not ornamental putters at all. People are raving about not only the look but the feel of the Bradley putter and I'm excited to get mine they're custom made based on the shape and colors that you like go online to bradleyputters.com to see how fantastic this new line of putters truly is I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at the Bobby Jones company folks it's time to change things up right the Bobby Jones spring collection is here with fresh colors and new additions that have genuine enduring character from new polo shirts to long sleeve button down shirts to uh, tech shorts that are ready to hit the links or any warm weather you know outing that you're going to the Bobby Jones brand is going to keep you feeling great and looking great whether you're on the golf course or in the office and when you place your order online, go to the promo code section and enter next on the T to get 10% off. So you can freshen up your wardrobe from an iconic brand, save a little money too. Go to bobbyjones.com. Again, enter the promo code next on the T to freshen up your look for spring. Plus, while you're in a Bobby Jones frame of mind, go to bobbyjonesclubs.com to see the great line of drivers, fairway woods, and hybrids designed by one of the game's most influential equipment designers of all time, Mr. Jesse Ortiz. 
like his father Lou and Mr. Jones himself, Jesse has a passion for golf and golf club design. You remember his great tri-metal fairway woods from his days back at Olimar. Well, now he's putting his creativity and innovative design works you know, together and uh, doing great things for the Bobby Jones Company. Check them out online by going to bobbyjonesclubs.com. I also want to give a shout-out to our friends at Callaway Golf. Callaway is the fastest-growing golf brand since 2013, and the Chrome Soft has been a major part of the reason why. Chrome Soft is extremely fast, incredibly soft, and unbelievably easy to control, which is why you see Phil Mickelson, Patrick Reed, and Jim Furyk changing over to the Chrome Soft. You've got to be willing to change to get better. Chrome Soft and the new Chrome Soft X are now in stores. See what they can do for you by going to CallawayGolf.com. Chrome Soft, it's the ball that changed the ball. And every week here on Next on the Tee, you know we like to kick off the show by saluting the brave men and women that are serving in every branch of our military who are tuning in around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. We want to thank all of you for the daily sacrifices that you and your families are making to protect our freedoms and our liberties. We also want to thank our veterans out there for all that you and your families have done for us over the years. It's through your collective strength and your efforts that our way of life continues to be possible. Folks, please, if you happen to see a member of our military when you're out and about in your daily life, wherever you might be, grocery store, restaurant, airport, please stop for a moment and tell those folks thank you. They are the ones who should be our true heroes. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and the great folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It is such an honor for us to have Next on the T as a part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Michael Verska. Michael is, like I said a moment ago, an 18-year industry veteran of club research, design, and development, and I'm honored that he is back with me again this morning here on Next on the T. Good morning, Michael. Thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, good morning, Chris, and you're very welcome. It's uh, always great to talk golf, especially on Masters weekend. <laughs> Absolutely right. And, you know, Michael, you know, be, before we get into – all of the golf stuff. And we talked last time about your excitement over the Cubs, you know, winning the World Series. So I got to ask you, what's more exciting this week, opening day or the start of the Masters? Well, uh, I would say I would say the Masters. Uh, you know, the one the great thing about baseball, I, I love the game, is it's 162 games. So no one game is, is really more important than the other 161. And, you know, the Masters is a special thing. Uh, you know, I probably don't have time to get into here, but one of the, you know, the Masters kind of got me into the game of golf. So, uh, you know, with, with the NCAA championships on Monday, the Masters the weekend, Major League Baseball opening day, it's really tough to beat this week if you're a sports fan and especially a golf fan. Absolutely right. So, uh, Michael, how, have you gotten to, you know, go down and check out the Masters? Have you ever gotten to walk the grounds at Augusta National? Uh, many, many times. Yes, it's a, it's a special place. It's uh, almost a cathedral of golf. It's uh, it's uh, as close to perfection as I think we'll ever see from from something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been there many times. I've uh, I've got to do some special things there, and uh, it's a, it's a special place. Again, not only from from that, but uh, you know, back in '86 when Nicholas won, and then when Myers chipped in '87, that was really the beginning of my love uh, for the game of golf. And uh, to see Myers chip in, you know, beat by Asteros and Norman, who are number one and number two in the world in the playoff, really made this game. You know, I was, I was a good baseball player and a good basketball player, and was uh, thankful I got to play that through high school and a little college as well. But it made golf cool and made something in, in my you know young heart and mind like this is something I want to be a part of. And 
Um, and now after, you know, 18 years in the industry, I, I'm definitely a part of it. So very proud of that. And again, when I, every year at Masters time, uh, it uh, is certainly something special. Again, not only for the game of golf, but for me personally. Yeah, and it, you know, I saw on your Twitter feed again, and 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 Michael's Twitter feed is at V Golfman, and you talk about how Nicholas was winning '86 and Mises chipped to win in '87 were, you know, part of the reason why you fell in love, you know, with the game of golf and are, are your favorite moments at the Masters. Just expand on that a little bit. Talk about you know those memories and why they're so special to you. Yeah, sure, I, I'm happy to. And it's really it, it's really why I'm probably on the phone today. So. Uh, I had an uncle who uh, had, had just played golf a handful of times and said, hey, I think this would be something fun for you to go try. So it was uh, fall of 85. I was 11 years old. And, um, you know, he said, hey, let, let's go play golf. Let's try this. And uh, took me to a little par three course. And I, I loved it almost instantly. I absolutely loved it. And um, so that, that next year, I really didn't know much about the game. I had no family members that played again other than this uncle who had just tried the game. I turned on the TV that I only watched Sunday of the Masters. I really didn't know anybody except I knew, you know, obviously everybody on earth knew who Jack Nicholas was and saw me this this charge and was trying to understand, you know, really what's going on. And then Vern Lundquist says, yes, sir. And it literally sent chills down my spine. And I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a lot more this summer. Uh, and I did. I played a fair amount that summer. And then I got really into it. And by next year, I knew who Ballesteros was. I knew who Norman was. I knew what the Masters was all about. You know, and not to sound all caddyshacky, but, you know, hometown hero out of nowhere, uh, Larry Mize, you know, fights his way and gets in this playoff. And Ballesteros was three putts, ten is out. And then, you know, Mize flares it right on 11. And lo and behold, he chips it in, and he's the Masters champion. And I was 100% hooked at that point. Uh, got a very cheap, um, talking to parents, and getting me a very cheap uh, year-long junior membership at a, at a you know local muni, which was nothing to be proud of, but I thought it was the greatest thing at earth. And I played nearly every day. And uh, from that point on, I, I've loved the game and I've tried to to uphold its traditions and you know make myself better at it. And then you know, again, for the last 18 years, help other players play better uh, through club design and development and, and all that goes into that. So. Uh, that's kind of my story. If it wasn't for those two things, I'm not sure I'd be on the phone right now. So, Michael, as as we look ahead to, you know, the, the, the weekend and the rest of this year's Masters Tournament, who do you like? Who do you think is going to be on top of the leaderboard come tomorrow evening? Well, I've been a big fan of Thomas Peters. Uh, anyone who watched the Ryder Cup, um, I think, can understand why. Uh, he seems to, to, to not only not – not shown the big moments, but thrive in the big moments. Uh, he was one of my picks before the week started. Obviously, he's tied to the lead with Garcia. Um, you know, Fowler's been on such a roll. I, I didn't think he was going to be able to keep it up this week, but, you know, another guy tied to the lead. It's tough to, to count him out. Um, you know, I, I really think that Mickelson might do something special this weekend as well. Uh, you know, but having said all that, I, I, I kind of hope Sergio Garcia pulls it off, you know, never having won a major. Uh, you know, his life seems to mean a great spot uh, he's engaged getting married soon just the interview yesterday at the end of this round he just seems very happy and content um and it'd be great for somebody like sergio who's uh, you know got a little bit of a different swing um has done some maybe controversial things over earlier in his career when he was kind of young and brash but he's really been a great ambassador for the game for the last 10 years so uh, i think it'd be great for him to win and i think peters has probably got uh, many 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 years to get his first so uh, but it, you, know, you look at the leaderboard, it, it's really a who's who uh, 
obviously Freddie Couples, I don't I think he's 112 now, continues to to be right in the mix, and it's just really fun to to watch him play the game of golf and uh, to understand that. Um, you know, here's somebody that's just passionate and loves the game and loves the golf course and is going to figure out a way to get it around and uh, done it very well. Michael, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about, you know, golf equipment and design and, and things of that nature. And I had an opportunity to talk with Gary Player earlier this week, and, and both he and Jack Nicholas have been proponents for years to, you know, dial the golf ball back in, you know, at least for the touring pros, the professionals out there. He says, look, you know, the ball flies too far. Golf courses are having to add too much land, which, you know, has a trickle-down effect, right? they got to use more water, more maintenance, and the costs, you know, that are associated with that make golf, makes golf a little bit harder for people to afford and go out and play on a regular basis. Do you agree with that? And in, in, and in the time, you know, coming up where manufacturers, you know, are, are, are really going to have to take a look at and say, you know, as we see, you know, guys like Rory McIlroy and, you know, some of these guys that are now, you know, pushing the edge of 400 yards on drives, is it time to get the ball, you know, back in a little bit? Yeah, I, I, it's kind of a two-part answer. I think I, I think the we should have done that 15 years ago. I don't. I think the ball probably has gotten too long, uh, and at this point, I, I don't think we should roll it back. The issue is, you know, these golf courses are all built. Um, you know, so to to somehow say, hey, we're going to roll the ball back, um, you know, at an amateur level, would certainly cause problems. Now, if we do want to do a professional level, that's a whole different story. Uh, those obviously the, the you know the PGA Tour, the Web dot com. Uh, that could certainly be done, but when you start to get into, to, um, you know, some of the smaller tours, you know, global tours where the money and the television isn't there, uh, it, it could cause some problems. But uh, you know, if the PGA Tour wanted to do that, I think they could. I think it would be, uh, unfortunately, a very litigious situation from from a lot of the uh, manufacturers who would would slow that down and cause more problems. Um, but I think it's a great idea, but I think it was a great idea 15 years ago. I, I'm afraid that ship has sailed. Everybody kind of understands. And it, it's certainly true. Rory hit one, I think, 393 yesterday on, on, uh, on I, I forget which hole, which is just obviously there's roll involved in some downhill. But that's just incredible. But for the average player, the game's not too easy. The ball's not going too far. So, uh, you know, it is that bifurcation that you need to think about. And, and you know, do we want the players playing a different ball? Because one of the coolest things about golf is I play the same ball as, you know, pick your favorite player. I play the same clubs as pick my favorite player. Oh, that's a good thing or not is, is, a, is, a, is, is another discussion. But, you know, that, that connection to the players using the same equipment is something that drives golf and drives consumers. And you can see that through, you know, tremendous amount of marketing dollars that are spent. So, um, yeah, I do. I wish it would have happened a long time ago. That ship is sealed. I think the point is now, how can we get ergonomically so we don't have to have everything perfectly green? I mean, the USGA a few years back said brown is the new green. And, um, you know, anyone who's played links golf understands what that means. So we just have to get the rest of the world to understand it doesn't have to, you know, be a perfect, you know, shade of green. It doesn't have to look like Augusta, quite frankly, uh, to be a great golf course. So um, there is a lot that goes into it. But uh, at this point, I think we just need to keep the ball where it's at. USJ is doing a pretty good job of that uh, and then designed around those current rules. Michael, let's talk a little bit about, you know, ball fitting and finding, you know, the right golf ball for uh, for our swings. You know, my swing speed is getting a little better thanks to our friends over at the Orange Whip and Orange Whip Trainer. 
But for those of us with swing speeds in the 80s or in the 90s, and you, you talk about, you know, using the same ball as, as our favorite pro, you know, you know, some some golf balls are made for a slower swing. Some golf balls are more designed for, you know, guys who swing at 98, 105, 110 for the rare person that uh, can get it up to those speeds. But talk about what, what we lose out on if we choose the wrong ball for our swing. Yeah, so there's a couple schools of thought, and, and I think it, it really kind of depends. So a lot of people, they talk about slow swing speeds. Um, you, you do want to, to get a ball that, that maximizes your distance. Uh, but one of the things that I, I think people also need to think about is, you know, if you're a slow swing speed player, but you hit it extremely straight, um, you know, a player who, you know, maybe you're always the shortest guy in the group, but you never miss a fairway, uh, you know, maybe distance isn't the most important thing. Maybe you do need to worry about fitting around the green. You know, are, are you a player who likes to bump and run it? Um, you know, we, we people talk about spin around the green all the time. Um, but if you're a player who wants to land on the front of the green and let it roll and you like playing it low to the ground, uh, that has to be to be factored in as well. So when you look at ball fitting, I hate for people just to look at any one individual uh, attribute. Uh, distance off the tee is, is obviously critical. Uh, if you can get it longer, it makes it, it hit a shorter iron to the green, which is beneficial. Uh, but the other thing you have to look at is the dispersion. Uh, just if you hit it five yards longer, but uh, but five yards more left and right, that's probably not going to be a big enough advantage. Hitting out of the rough is going to cost you more. Um, than that distance gain, but also make sure you take the ball if you find one. Hey, I really like this one or this two off the tee. Uh, grab two or three each. Maybe just buy a sleeve and go on the green and play what you normally play. You know, if you're not making a giant full flop shot swing from five yards off the green, then that's not something you need to worry about. You know, drop it ten yards short. Play your normal bump and run. You know, if you if you're using a sand wedge or a gap wedge to chip it over the green, hit those shots and see how it releases. So. Finding the right ball is critical, and off the, the tee is critical, but also around the green. I mean, quite frankly, um, you know, you'd have to be a pretty elite player to work. Boy, how does this how does this hit off my six iron? How do those things? But for the average golfer, they can just get a sleeve, hit a couple of drives on a wide open hole, where they know they can get a good distance, and then pick those balls up and, and take them down to the green and hit some chips and pitches. They're going to know pretty quickly what's the best ball for them. And, you know, Michael, we talk a lot on this show about, you know, the, the importance of the short game. You talk about, you know, how, how do you like to, you know, chip into the greens and how do you like to, you know, how do you like to, you know, use the ball and work the ball in and around the greens and that sort of thing. For so much of the game, right, is from 100 yards in, right? And that's really the, more, the you know, where the majority of strokes are, are lost, you know, by we amateurs, right? Because we, we like to get on the tee and see how far we can head it, but really – you know, if we're going to, you know, improve our scores, we've got to get better from 100 yards in. Talk about the importance of, you know, trying to find, to your point, you know, not only the, the right ball that, you know, acts the way you need it to act around the greens, but also, you know, finding, you know, the right set of wedges and uh, the right set of grooves, to, you know, in, in, in order to be able to do those sorts of things. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely true. Uh, you know, I think if you, I know you have uh, some instructors on here, uh, and they'll tell you that's where, where most amateurs don't spend nearly much time. You know, they're, they're spending way too much time pounding drivers uh, on the range and not nearly enough time hitting those little chips and pitches and pots. But I'll let the swing experts take care of that part. For, but from just from a data standpoint, uh, you can see in the PGA Tour, even for the best players in the world, how important putting and chipping is. When you get down to higher handicaps where uh, a lot of the case they average more than two putts per green, 
um, a lot of times they're they're chipping and not hitting the green, meaning they're they're flubbing it or hitting it all the way through the green three or four times around. Those are really wasted shots. So when you get done, how clubs can can help you with that? Uh, again, it, it, it matters. It's very independent of what type of player you are. Do you have a very steep swing? And what I mean by that is, when you're around the greens, you normally take a, a divot or even a sizable divot. If that's the case, you want to specifically look at wedges that have higher bounce. Uh, meaning something with double digits, a 10 to 12, 14, even 15 degrees of bounce uh, should what you, you'd be looking at. Do you play a course that's very lush, meaning uh, maybe they don't get it mowed as often, maybe they have a lot of rough around the green, another case where you'd want to get higher bounce. Uh, do you play a course that, or, or maybe down south where it's hot, where it doesn't get a lot of water, or they cut it very clean, or you really have to get under the ball. In that case, you want something with a little less bounce. So from a wedge perspective, really want to start to look at bounce. That That's where you want to start at from a, from finding the right wedges for you. Um, and then obviously then look at loft. You know, where's your pitching wedge? How many wedges do you want to carry? Are you comfortable with something with 58, 60, 62 degrees of loft? A lot of players aren't, and that, that's, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I'm going to put an extra hybrid in my bag. I'm going to put an extra fairway wood in my bag and just have a pitching wedge, gap wedge, and sand wedge. I think for most players, that's the minimum they'd want. Um, but again, so many guys say, oh, the tour players all carry a lob wedge. I need one. That, that may or may not be true. In fact, a lot of cases, it's not uh, if they're not comfortable with that additional loft. So uh, look at bounce. Um, that's, again, really where you should start. Understand what that means. Um, and, and then, two, what lofts do I need and, and the gapping that goes along with it. The cool thing about wedges that a lot of people don't understand is you can easily bend a wedge for loft. Um, it's not very expensive. You can take it to virtually any pro shop, uh, certainly any PGA Tour Superstore, Golfsmith, um, anyone uh, of, of the similar type stores and say, I need you to bend this a degree weak or a degree strong. So if you do buy a wedge and find out, hey, you know, there's only eight or nine yards gap between these two, Go in and have, been, have them bend one a little bit weak or a little bit strong. Uh, that will really help you get the gapping uh, spread out from a full shot's perspective. So, uh, again, look at bounce. Understand the shots you want to play, meaning, again, are you somebody who wants to bounce and let it run up? If it is, you don't need a high-spin golf ball. The worst thing you want to do is you're used to playing bump and runs. You switch golf balls to a high-spin ball, and now you're constantly 10 feet short. Uh, or you like to play a high flop shot or, or like to carry it in deep and, and you go to a low spin ball and now it's releasing on you. So, again, find that golf ball, get the right bounce, get the uh, loss right, and, and your short game is going to improve quite quickly um, just by getting the right equipment. And speaking about, you know, what we put in our bags, Michael, if you if you look at, you know, the equipment that you know, I mentioned, Gary Player and Jack Nicklaus, but if you look back at their era and the equipment and the golf balls that they used back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, how does how does that equipment compare to the technology that we have today? What's different? What has made, you know, the technology so much better now than what it used to be? Well, I mean, well, I guess we'll start with the driver and the golf ball. So those are the, the far and away the two largest. There's really no comparison from a persimmon wood driver um, to a, to a titanium metal driver today. I, I mean, the distances are easily 20, 30, 40 yards uh, in some cases. And they're really, you know, wood is a solid golf club. Um, you know, it had some sort of insert on the front and essentially was solid uh, there on. So was, there was really no give or no flex to the face. Uh, the MOI, moment of inertia, which is how you measure how forgiving it is. If you think back, those woodheads are really small. For those people who used them back in the day or have seen them, 
Um, you know, drivers back then uh, were smaller than most three woods today. Uh, and, and, you know, you couldn't move mass around. It, it was a solid head, so the mass was where it was. So very unforgiving on off-center hits. Um, so if you're looking at drivers, it's, uh, there's no comparison to a modern driver. It's very thin-walled. We can move weight anywhere we want inside the head. We can make it a draw bias head. We can move weight extremely heel and toe. Uh, to get the MOI up, we can make it adjustable and move weight around so you can get dialed in just for you, change the, the hosel setting to get the right face angle. So uh, drivers, you are literally talking 20 to 40 yards in distance and then also um, significant left and right tendencies with, with the MOI. So uh, it really is incredible. And when you look at a, a going to the golf ball, you know, back then every, virtually everything was wound. It was bladder. Um, and they they spun tremendously. I think that's one of the things that people don't realize is golf balls spun a ton back then, um, and it it really changed golf. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I'm very proud to be associated with back when hybrids really got going, and not only going in, in on the tour but with with consumers as well. Uh, one of the reasons that happened was the golf ball change. You know, one of the reasons that one irons and two irons are dead is because the golf ball spins so much less uh, with velocity now than the old blotter ball. You couldn't get, you know, an old one iron or two iron off the ground when we went to solid core golf balls like the title was professional and, and some of those type things that were one of the early ones. Um, so it really has changed set makeups. Um, it, it's changed the way that the clubs are designed from a center of gravity and mass properties perspective. Uh, so when you go back to those 60s and 70s, it's really fun to get them out. Um, and one of the people I said, well, you know, there were blade irons back then and people played blade irons today, which is very true. But if you go look at the size of a blade iron from a you know late 60s, early 70s set, and this is not really an exaggeration, the three iron is barely bigger than the golf ball. Um, now the blade lengths are much longer. So even blade irons have had some pretty significant um, size changes and ability to move mass uh, because of the improved forging techniques. So uh, if you're playing old clubs, uh, while well, the nostalgia is really cool, you're really doing your game a, dis a disservice. And I'm not referencing one or two strokes. It could be easily, you know, five or more um, that, that you're costing yourself. So, Michael, as we look, you know, forward to what could be coming next, where can, where can the golf ball and the golf club, you know, design go from here? Aren't, aren't they already sort of maxing out the USGA limits on just about everything? Yeah, well, well, I think in, in the golf ball specifically, um, in the big, I mean, that's one thing they've really worked to control. Uh, it is maxed out in the sense of, of a ball velocity, but what it's not maxed out and where innovation continues uh, to be strong is, is a couple things. One is spin rate, uh, understanding that, you know, it's amazing what we can do from, from getting drivers that spin low but still getting enough spin on shots around the green. Uh, the feel of golf balls, you know, making them feel and sound um, much better. And then, and then three, and I think maybe the most important is fitting. Uh, be able to design golf balls that are that are noticeably different for different player types, which again, uh, why it's so important. So while the USA certainly has um, boxed in some areas of the golf ball design, with initial velocity being the biggest one, uh, there are many things that are that are still going on. Um, and all it's going to take is, is one new material find and, and things will change off and, and, and go off in a different direction, which has happened a number of times in golf. As for, as for the rest of the clubs, uh, there are certain limits, but if you look at MOI, 
Uh, there is no uh, popular driver in the marketplace that has reached the MOI uh, limit for drivers, so forgiveness is another area. Uh, as, as we continue to figure out how to, you know, make air, certain areas thinner and, and use different materials like carbon fiber, uh, different titaniums to, to, to make certain areas thinner, that's more mass we can move around. So, you know, more adjustability um, and, and really be able to fine-tune moving weight forward and back or left and right um, to really dial in the golfer. So I, I don't think innovation is dead by, by any means. Uh, the USJ, you know, they're their stated is to protect the game, and uh, you know you could argue if, if that's what they should be doing or not, but that's what they are doing. And you know, the golf ball they have a good, a good job of kind of slowing the tide uh, of distance, although it certainly is increasing at the highest levels, um, at least uh, some of the extremes. Um, but I don't think innovation is dead. I, I certainly don't think that uh, we're going to stop making great golf clubs. And I think there's a lot of really, really smart people who spend all their time doing this and. Uh, people are going to continue to be surprised and, most importantly, pleased when they try new clubs. Michael, one more before we let you go, and just to you know take that another step you know further. As as a design guy, as a development guy, if 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 some company came along and and said you know hey Michael here's here's uh, you know an unlimited amount of money you know we want you to go out and design the next big thing. Is there something that you've had in mind, a concept that you've been dying to try to to see that you know maybe hey maybe this is the next big thing well yeah i mean there's always things like that and, and price points do matter uh it's interesting to look at the golf space now and, and some of that's becoming um you know with what pxg is doing now with price points so I, I think the industry uh you know when we talk about innovation i, I think one of the things we're going to start seeing more and more of and and again uh this isn't going to be great for everybody but uh some escalating prices where where we do say, hey, you know, before we always had to make a driver that was $299 or $399 or maybe $499, uh, that we want to say, hey, we're going to take the reins off a little bit and, and we're going to make the best driver with the best materials, no matter what it costs, uh, and put that out there. And obviously, there, you have to pay for that. I mean, um, you know, this may be a bad analogy, but not everybody gets a driver of Ferrari, right? I mean, not everybody can afford that. Uh, I'd certainly like one. Probably not going to happen in my lifetime. Um, but, you know, I can drive a, a really nice car that, that uh, is a performance model and, and I can, from my abilities, gets me everything I want out of. So uh, when you talk about that, I think the USGA limits are more limiting right now than some of the cost factors. Um, you know, if, if it ever gets to the point where, where golfers say, hey, I don't care, uh, I really want, I just want to go have more fun. I don't care if it's conforming or not. I think that's when the lid could really come off and you would see some um, very different but truly innovative things coming out um, that uh, that would get people even more excited. But, again, people want to play by the rules. You know, people want to be able to compare themselves with handicaps uh, against different players. And that's part of the greatness of the game. If you love golf and, and respect its traditions, uh, then playing by the rules is something I think is important. Michael, remind our listeners how they can uh, follow you and stay up to date with all the great things you're doing over social media. Yeah, please. Uh, I'm very, very active on Twitter. It's at VGolfMan. Uh, and that same handle is uh, good on Facebook as well as Instagram, although I'm not quite as active on those two. I'm certainly there a little bit, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm active on Twitter every day. Send me a question. I'm happy to respond uh, as quickly as I can. It's, it's a great medium. I love to, that I can interact. Uh, with consumers and answer questions and, and just be out there. 
I, I, I stated this last time, I've got several family members who have served, served in the armed forces. Uh, I'm, I like to think I'm a patriot, and, and I'm certainly thankful and grateful for all the people um, who have sacrificed so much to protect our freedoms and, uh, you know, done some things with the Disabled Veteran Golfers Association. So, um, if, especially if you're a veteran, uh, do not be shy to reach out. I'd especially like to talk to you and answer your questions. So, I uh, appreciate the opportunity, Chris. Ah, thank you, Michael. It's uh, it's always uh, fantastic getting to spend uh, some time with you. Thank you for coming back and being a part of the show. I hope you'll do it again real soon, my friend. I hope we can make it happen as well. Have a great Masters weekend. All right, you too, Michael. All the best to you and your family. That is Michael Verska, again, at VGolfMan on Twitter. A lot of great insights. Michael's got a wealth of background, you know, as a as a designer and a developer of, uh, you know, golf equipment. So kudos to Michael. Thanks for him uh, coming on the show, and uh, hope you'll give him a follow on Twitter. He's really great. All right, before we get to my next guest, Kenny, uh, Kenny Knox, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. For a fun, interactive experience and the best selection of golf clubs, apparel, and golf gear for golfers of all levels, check out our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. Whether you're a pro or a beginner, they're your one-stop shop for golf, you know, golf deals, golf apparel, golf clubs, anything for your golfing needs. You can save yourself a little time, too, oh, by the way, by shopping and placing your order online at PGATourSuperstore.com. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Superstore their golf pro shop. I also want to remind our friends about the Orange Whip. You heard, heard me mention it a moment ago, makers of the Orange Whip trainer. And if you haven't checked out the Orange Whip and you're looking for a great way to limber up before your rounds, improve your club head speed, or just sort of get your swing back intact after a long winter layoff, then you need to go check out the Orange Whip. Folks, there isn't a better way to loosen up and get prepared for your rounds than by swinging the Orange Whip. My father, 73 years old, right, plays five days a week. He's using the Orange Whip to loosen up before his rounds. It's helping me get loose before my rounds, plus, like I say, improving my club head speed. Take a look at what a great training aid that it is, and I wouldn't say it, folks, if I wasn't using it myself. Go online to see for yourself at orangewhiptrainer.com. And folks, you know how we like to keep things on the positive side here on Next on the T. And for a positive approach, both in life and on the golf course, we're excited to be partnering with the folks over at SyncIt.com. Keep putting the positive, you know, that positive thought in your mind with their great line of T-shirts and hats. To win any tournament, you've got to sink the final putt, right? Well, you know, we wake up every day to finish strong, sink the putt, close the deal, work hard, and get better each and every time. Have the confidence to push forward towards your dreams with unwavering passion, and you're going you're gonna to sink it in life. Check out their great line of apparel by going online to sinkit.com. And I also want to send out a big thank you to our good friends over at Podbean for making Next on the Tee and our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, regularly featured podcasts on their website and their mobile app. You can see us featured right there on their homepage and in their sports and recreation section. We really appreciate their support and what they're doing to help promote you know, our shows. It means a great deal to us. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, well, we hope you're doing it via the Podbean podcasting app and on their app you can get instant updates every time we publish a new episode the, you know their their uh their app and their site's free right great features that let you easily discover listen and even po- uh, publish a podcast for yourself whether you use an android or an iphone podbean is the app for your podcasting needs get the app now on google play or the apple app store so you can enjoy more of the podcasts that you love and we hope two of them are next on the t and thursday night tailgate again online at podbean.com all right, we'll get to Kenny Knox on the other side of this station identification. 
You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. And now back with me in making his fifth appearance on the French Lake Resort guest line is Kenny Knox. Let me remind you about Kenny's background. He's you know from not too far down the road from where I'm at here in Atlanta. He's from Columbus, Georgia, played his college golf at Florida State and was named an All-American his senior season. He won the 1977 Southeastern Amateur Championship. He won three times on the PGA Tour at the 1986 Honda Classic, the 87 Hardy's Golf Classic, and the 1990 Buick Southern Open. He's also one of the best putters of all time. In 1989, he set three putting records at the MCI Heritage Classic. He had eight putts over nine holes, 18 putts for 18 holes, and 93 putts for the tournament, 72 holes. He's currently teaching golf in Tallahassee, Florida, and in and around the country doing uh, all kinds of golf clinics. He's got his own line of great wedges and putters that you need to go check out online at his site, KennyKnoxGolf.com. They really look fantastic. And I'm honored that he is back with me again this morning on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Kenny. How have you been, my friend? Good morning, Chris. Hey, the better I used to be, I love it. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> And Kenny, as I mentioned in your intro, you are certainly one of the best putters of all times, and you played in the Masters a few times. Talk about what it's like trying to putt those greens. Chris, I was fortunate enough to play in the Masters five times. I tell people that's back when it used to be easy to get in, but those are the most demanding greens uh, that you'll ever putt, especially when the wind's blowing and it's cold outside. I do remember one of the tournaments we were playing uh, that it actually had snowed the night before. So it, it would get cold up there in Augusta as it did this week. Uh, not cold enough to snow this week, but I'm sure those guys felt the effects of that uh, that wind chill factor. And that just adds to the difficulty of those greens. There's so much slope on those greens. I actually went around in that one, one year in the tournament and never had a three putt. That's the good news. The bad news, I think I missed the cut. But uh, it was not my favorite golf course from tee to green. It was, it was more difficult for me because I've never been known for my, little, my length off the tee. However, I can make up around the greens. But on that particular golf course, Augusta National, which, by the way, is, is the most fabulous event ever in golf, the fairways are designed with a lot of moguls and mounds in the, in the fairways in your landing areas, if you fly the ball about 240 to 250 yards off the tee, you're, you're flying into the mounds and the ball's not running, obviously. If you can carry the ball 270 to 280 yards, your ball is flying over those mounds and it hits that downslope and, and takes off running. So there's a huge advantage for the long hitter and everybody wanted to know what, what the advantage on that course and why a long hitter had an advantage. But those guys are actually able to pick up 50, 60, even 70 yards at times off the shorter hitters. And, ten, and Kenny, going back to your first Masters, which just happened to be in 1986, but you know, before we talk about that event, what was it like for you the first time you got the opportunity to actually drive up Magnolia Lane? Well, it, like many people, you know, say that they'll never go to the Masters until they play in it, and that was me. And fortunate enough, to, it was a great goal to have because I did achieve that goal. It was an incredible experience. I do. I remember, remember getting there a little bit early, uh, maybe on Saturday or Sunday even, and went to the practice tee, and I took my first divot off the practice tee, and I looked down, and sure as shooting, there was green dirt. 
it was. I said, well, I guess I finally made it to Augusta because it's green dirt instead of brown or black dirt. So uh, that, that's my first thought about the Masters. There's so many that I have. My I played really well. I was playing really well going into there. I haven't uh, met, won the Honda Classic and not missed any cuts coming in there. But uh, the golf course reduced me. I ended up missing the cut by one shot. I was at 75-76 and missed the cut by one shot. Uh, everyone probably knows the cut is to the low 48, 48 people and ties or within the 10-shot rule, which was put into effect this week because uh, four under par was leading the tournament. And so that means all the six over pars got in the tournament. So if you could shoot 150 this week, you can make the cut, which is pretty interesting. That's a really high cut, obviously. Kenny, one of the things we talk a lot about with respect to the Masters is for those folks who have never had an opportunity to be there to walk that golf course, TV just doesn't do justice to the extreme elevation changes that happen on almost every hole. The elevation change from tee to green on 10 is the same height of the Statue of Liberty, so it's over a 100-foot drop from that tee to green. Were you surprised to see how big those hills are in person? Well, you really are. I mean, you always hear about it. And, of course, growing up in Georgia, I was, I was used to seeing lots of hills and things, but you experience the, the dramatic uh, elevation changes from the moment you walk onto the grounds at Augusta. It's incredible. Uh, the the depth of those valleys and and the way the the way the golf course was designed it makes a tremendous difference and not only up and down but side to side you have so many side hill lies on that golf course number 13 for instance you have a you have a right to left slope you know higher on the right side lower on the left so you're standing well below the ball and yet the green calls for a fade so here here's a shot that's why you see so many balls go into the creek on the right-hand side is because you're wanting to draw the ball in there, but that's when it gets much uh, longer coming in at that angle. It's much better for a left-hander to hit a draw in there than for a right-hander to hit a fade in there. So anyway, uh, that's part of the mystique about the golf course is the elevation changes and the dramatic uphill shots that you have. For instance, number 18 is incredible. Uh, change of elevation from from down below from those bunkers, which is usually the landing area up to that green, is an incredible amount of distance. And here's what happens there: you usually come up short, but when you decide to hit a, one extra club to make sure you get it back to the pin placement, it's kind of coming in low because uh, you really have you're not coming downhill, you know, from a high elevation. You're coming in kind of at a, a flatter angle, and the ball doesn't have any spin on the, on on it when it's you're hitting with a five or six iron in there. So there's another reason that the long hitters have an advantage when they can hit like eight and nine irons and, and pitch a wedge into those holes. Kenny, as I mentioned, your rookie appearance at the Masters was in 1986, perhaps, you know, the greatest of them all, thanks to Jack Nicholas's remarkable Sunday charge and the victory that he had that year. And I know you and Mr. Nicholas have a wonderful relationship um, but talk about, you know, that, that 86 Masters. Did you stick around and, and uh, you know, take a look at the rest of the tournament uh, over the last two days to see, you know, to see that unbelievable win? Well, after I had won the Honda Classic, I, uh, I, was, I was taught by a good friend of mine, Larry Mowry, to always go to the best players and ask to play practice rounds because you never know when you're going to get a, a play good enough to play uh, in the tournament with these great players. 
So after that win, I went to Mr. Nicholas and asked him to play a practice round at Augusta, and he agreed to meet me there on Tuesday and that we would play a practice round. So we played on Tuesday, then we played on Wednesday also. Uh, and as we went over the par three golf course to play the par three championship on Wednesday, uh, the, the first thing the reporters asked, they had a camera set up and interviewed every player coming to the par three, and they asked your favorite for the win the golf tournament. I said, oh, that's easy. My partner's going to win. And they're like, well, who's your partner? And I said, Jack Nicholas, of course. And so <laughs> I was the only person to predict that Jack would win on live camera. So it was pretty interesting there to see him win. Unfortunately, since I missed the cut by one shot, I traveled to Hilton Head on that Sunday, and I rushed I rushed to get over there. And remember, this is 1986. This was not the year of the big screen TVs, right? So – I rushed to get over the clubhouse, and I remember going in the golf shop at, at Hilton Head at Harbor at Harbortown, and finding a small TV to watch the the finale of the Masters that that year. And I watched Jack uh, shoot that beautiful round of 30 on the back nine with a bogey on 12, uh, but birdieing all those holes and then two putting the uh, 18th hole to uh, have a chance to beat Greg Norman. Of course, Greg bogeyed 18. To uh, for Jack to avoid the playoff, but what an incredible comeback after birdie at number nine and then shooting thirty on the back nine with a bogey. That was just an incredible round of golf, and to be friends with Jack and his son Jackie has been a great thrill in my life. To be able to talk about the experiences and just reflect back on so many times that I was able to play in major championships, not only in the uh, tournaments but also in the practice rounds with with the great Jack Nicklaus. And speaking of all that, Kenny, I saw a picture of you with Mr. Nicholas and his oldest son, Jackie, at the Father-Son Challenge back in December, and they were using or at least holding, you know, a couple of your Kenny Knox putters. Talk about, you know, that experience and uh, what they thought of the putters. Called down and and uh, spoke with, with Jackie about coming down and kind of working with, working with him a little bit to get him ready for the Father-Son, work with him on his short game. He's got a beautiful long game. And so I went down and, and stayed at Jackie's house. And, of course, he lives right across the street from Jack at Lost Tree. But uh, we ended up going out and playing for three days. And uh, it was just a thrill to be with them. But uh, Jackie had already been using my putter. And I had given Jack one of my putters uh, last year at one of the Florida State football games. But I knew he wasn't using it. And so I got him going and I built him a putter. And the next day we played, I presented it to him and asked him if he would uh, consider using it. Uh, and he said, well, Kenny, you know I'm not playing competitive golf anymore. I said, yes, I know, Jack, but you are Jack Nicholas." And so <laughs> it, it really worked out nice. We played three practice rounds there at, at the Bears Club in Jupiter, his course there. And we had a great time. And we worked really hard on our short games. And, and Jackie really – uh, developed my technique with short game. And, and, of course, Jack has a beautiful short game after working with Phil Rogers all those years. His chipping's improved dramatically. Goodness, I think he probably won, would have won 25 majors if he'd have had that technique early in his career. But uh, he has a beautiful technique chipping, and, of course, he's always been the greatest putter of all time. So it's nice to be able to say Jack is using my putter, and, of course, his son Jackie as well is using my putter. And so it's been a thrill for me to be a part of their lives, a small part, but a big part for me. 
And and talking, we're talking about your putters now, Kenny. Your, your Transformer Putter Series looks absolutely amazing. You've got several different varieties of that putter available. Talk about, you know, talk about that line of putters. And, you know, if you're looking for better performance from your putter, you've got, you know, center shafted, you got heel shafted, you got different bends in the in the shaft itself. Talk about, you know, A, what those putters are like, and B, how I can figure out what is the best style of putter for me. Right, Chris. I, I actually have a 24 different uh, transformer models. I have 12 right-handed and 12 left-handed, and I have basically a blade and a mallet, and I have uh, four different putters with a heel-shafted blade. You have a straight-in, your offset, your plumber's neck, and your double bend, and then with the center shaft, I have a straight-in and an offset. So that makes up six putters with the blade right-handed, and then, of course, the same thing with the right-handed mallet. And so that's 12 right-handed, 12 left-handed. And then, of course, I have my record series, which I'm probably the most proud of. The, the Transformer series gives me the most versatility. But the record series is more of the classic uh, putter styles that have been popular for so long. And what I have is my record series is my 18 for 18, which stands for 18 putts for 18 holes. And I have my 93 for 72, which stands for the 93 putts for 72 holes. And I'm uh, awaiting in the next few weeks my new 8 for 9, which is 8 putts for 9 holes series. So I'll have 3 in my record series and 24 in my transformer series. And it just gives tremendous versatility, both right-handed and left-handed, for the golfer. I've been very successful, Chris, going around the country. And mostly spent most of my winter this year down, uh, starting at the Bears Club in Jupiter, but spent a lot of time at Jupiter. And I'm going to be hitting the Vero market, uh, next week, uh, in the next few weeks as well. And, uh, going over to Orchid Island and doing some of those courses in that area. And I do demo days. So I am there personally. I set up with my tent and all my putters and I do custom fitting for all the individuals that are there at the clubs. And so I tell people the putters are actually free, but the lessons are expensive, Chris. <laughs> so, <laughs> I spend a lot of time with the individuals to, to teach them the proper way to putt, and then they get a custom-made putter there in five minutes. I have all the putters pre-built, so I'm able to just go to my workstation and cut the putters down and bend them to the uh, perfect lie angle for the individual. And also... Uh, I blow the grips on, and I have the ability to blow the grips on and blow them off, so we never waste the grip. If someone decides they wanted to go to a large grip instead of a regular grip or a medium grip, or, which is really great. And so they get a custom putter there within five minutes. The lessons usually take longer than that, but that's okay if I'm not too busy. Uh, if I have a lot of people standing in line, then the lessons get cut short. Kenny, one more before we let you go, but you also, you know, have a wonderful line of wedges. Talk about the different wedges that you've got available as well. The wedges are wonderful, Chris. Uh, they were actually designed in collaboration uh, with Seve Ballesteros, Jose Maria Lothable, and myself, and our designer, Bob Evans. Uh, Jose Maria and I were both good friends with Seve Ballesteros. Seve taught us how to grind our wedges. And so that's kind of the, the, the way we went with that. Uh, Bob worked with Jose Maria uh, uh, to design the, the shape of the wedges. 
which was fantastic. He has a company in, in Europe called Chima Golf, and we're kind of sister, sister companies. We use the same model wedges. I have a natural finish and also a, a heat-treated uh, QPQ finish as well. And so the wedges are very popular. However, I don't do as many demo day with the wedges. I sell most of those online at KennyKnoxGolf.com. Uh, I do also do charity events. And so a charity may buy 100 wedges for their participants, and that goes real well as well. So, Kenny, talk about, you know, and you've got so many great videos, you know, from the sand game to putting to, you know, lots of different things available on your website. Tell everybody what they can find when they go to KennyKnox.com. Yeah, just go to KennyKnoxGolf.com. I have videos, uh, short game videos mostly, of uh, the different techniques that I use to hit your basic pitch and run, your basic chip shot, your your uh, flop shot, your sand shots. Every short shot you can imagine uh, is there for you to look at. Also putting. Uh, I give you some tips on putting as well. And they're very short. They're three- to four-minute videos, so they don't take a long time to watch. But you can brush up on those. And I tell people to take lessons from me at my short game schools to just make sure you watch those videos to kind of follow up on everything that I've just taught you. Uh, I have some YouTube videos as well, and then uh, and then obviously I have all my 26, right now 26 different models on my website. You could choose one of those to your liking. If you know your length and lie angle and the grip size, you can order those off the website, the KennyKnoxGolf.com website, and then the different color grips. And I have new head covers on. I'm getting ready to put those on the website as well, as long as the ones that, as well as the ones I already have on there. Kenny, before we let you go, remind our listeners how you know how can they stay in touch and see all the great things that you're doing over social media and uh, and like I say, you know, find you you know when you're going to be doing your demo days and that sort of thing where you might be. Yeah, everything is under the Kenny Knox Golf uh, logo. If you the website the KennyKnoxGolf.com or you can you can email me at KennyKnoxGolf at gmail.com. Or you can go to my Twitter account at Kenny Knox Golf, or my Facebook at Kenny Knox Golf as well, and you can see a lot of the photographs and things of that nature that I do in my junior golf schools and all that kind of stuff on my Facebook page. Outstanding stuff, Kenny. Always such a privilege to get to spend some time with you. Thank you for coming back on the show again uh, this week, Kenny, and I hope you'll come back again and join me real soon, my friend. Have a great Masters weekend. It's one of the most exciting times of the year for all golfers. It's kind of the springboard for their golf season in most places around the country. And it's a great way. We're going to have a great weekend up there. We're going to have a great champion. I'm sure the the leaderboard is full of the top players. And we wish uh, Dustin Johnson a healthy recovery in, in the next few weeks so he can get back out there and start winning golf tournaments again. Great stuff, Kenny. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Okay, Chris, thank you so much for the opportunity. All right, take care, Kenny. That is the great Kenny Knox. And, again, KennyKnoxGolf.com, and you can follow him at that same handle on Twitter. I'm telling you, folks, if you look at those putters and the the wedges, they're absolutely outstanding. So uh, please go online and check it out. I've got my next guest, Brian Jacobs, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Brian on the other side of this station identification. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. 
And now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Brian Jacobs. Let me give you some more background on Brian. He earned his undergraduate and master's of education degree at NYU. He became a PGA assistant director of instruction at Ravenwood Golf Club up in Rochester, New York back in 2006, simultaneously becoming a uh, staff instructor for Hank Haney Golf. 2014, he became the lead instructor uh, on the uh, Golf Channel's Golf Academy. In 2015, he started the Brian Jacobs Golf Academy at Ridgemont Country Club up in Rochester as well. And I'm excited that Brian is with me here on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, good morning, Chris. How are you today? I'm fantastic, Brian. How are you? I'm awesome. The sun is shining at last in uh, upstate New York. We got a little snow the other day, unfortunately, but we're, uh, we're moving along, which is fantastic. We love it. So, Brian, let's start out by going all the way back to your beginnings in the game. When, when did you first fall in love with the game of golf, and who was the first person to put a golf club in your hands? Wow. <laughs> I'm actually uh, a late bloomer. I played college football, so I was a baseball football kid uh, all the way through uh, high school and college. And then uh, we used to go to the driving range a little bit in college. And so once I graduated, I, I knew I wasn't going into the NFL or anything. And so I, I actually uh, had a friend that played and uh, we went out and played a, a local public course. We uh, have a number of golf courses up here, but one of the muni courses in our area and, and I had one par and so I was hooked. So uh a kid that was a receiver uh at the college uh, that I played at, he uh um got me going in golf and, and uh it's really funny. He doesn't play hardly anymore and, and I got into the business uh almost immediately after. And Brian, I, I read that you actually caddied at, you know, some events like the, you know, the U.S. amateur events and also out on mm -hmm. the LPGA tour for a while. Talk about mm -hmm. that experience yeah. and uh, who you got to work with. Oh, it was wonderful. The, the U.S. amateur, I worked for Jeff Daly. Uh, he played at Northwestern at the time and, and, uh, it was a, a lot of fun. I actually got to caddy in the same group as Andy Miller. So Johnny's son. And at the time, uh, 1998, he was playing his dad's irons and he, and he did a, uh, they did a big story on him and, and he was such an amazing ball striker. Uh, uh, unfortunately, Justin didn't make the cut, uh, for the, you know, the match play, but, uh, it was wonderful. And then the club that I worked at, I worked at Locust Hill for six years and that's where they had the Wegmans, uh, invitational and, and, uh, the girls would come up every year and they'd always ask for me, uh, to go out with them. So I've had Angela Stanford and, um, Diane Barnard, Tracy Hansen. So some of the, um, players that had some longevity on tour at the time. So it was a, a great experience for me to, to caddy for them and, and to see how they play and get inside the ropes and learn more. And Brian, I, I also read that, you know, you helped start a caddy program up at Locust Hill Country Club up in Rochester. And I had Dennis Cohn on the show with me last week. He's been on the show a few times, and not only is he a member of the Caddy Hall of Fame, but also a guy who founded the Professional Caddies Association, and he's working mm -hmm. on a movement to get caddies back into golf courses across the country, which I think is a wonderful idea and a great way to get kids introduced to the game again. Talk about the benefits that kids get out of, you know, working as cad uh, as, cad as caddies, plus, you know, the scholarships and the other things that become uh, afforded to them by doing so. Right. Well, excuse me. It was a wonderful program. We, we actually started our first year. Uh, we only had 25 applicants for, and within the sixth year, we had over 500 applicants to the program and had developed the scholarship program in addition to the Evans 
scholarships. So what we would do as we recruit is we recruited through all the county, um, <clears throat> excuse me again, for our, uh, our caddies. And then we would hook them up with mentors uh, as members. Uh, and the members would actually get highly involved with it. They sat on our caddy board and, and uh, caddy committees and made decisions based, uh, you know, policy and some other things. But uh, we got quite a bit of national recognition with the PGA of America. And it was wonderful to watch the kids develop, to develop relationships with the membership and their guests, to be able to look them in the eye and shake their hand and be able to um, go out and, and get around the golf course with them. Uh, we didn't use it necessarily as a, a means of income, but more of a, a networking tool for the kids. And many of our members um, helped kids out with their college expenses. Uh, they helped kids out with, you know, presents at Christmas time and became parts of their families as well. And, and that was a really special, special time in my life where, where we knew we were transforming kids' lives. Uh, most of our kids came from the inner city as well. So a lot of them were in poverty. Um, and, and had hardship and were very deserving of our scholarship. So um, teaching them a craft and, and getting them networked with uh, the membership was, was awesome. And it was fun to watch them grow up, you know, in the game. In addition to that, we ran a, a program on Mondays at a different golf course uh, that was funded by the city of Rochester that we wrote through the recreation program where the kids would learn the game. So, People would donate clubs and the course would donate time. Um, we would uh, recruit in the rec centers in the city of Rochester and have a bus, you know, and pick them up at different points in the city. And, and the kids all got along. It was a very multicultural program and, and we just really enjoyed it. It was a very, very special time for me and for the kids and everybody that worked in the program. And Brian, the, the preparation that caddies have to go through and the strategy that it helps develop. It's a whole different side of the game than just going out and trying to execute shots. Do you think having that experience, the experience of you know having caddied, helps make you a better player because you have a more well-rounded mindset than when you're just playing the game of golf? I do, Chris. I really do. I, I think uh, even now as a teacher, I still think as a caddy, uh, it's funny, I had a lesson indoors this morning and, and uh, I brought in a, a caddy book and started to teach the gentleman that I was working with, how to read topography and, and how we would go out and map out the greens on the golf course and how we would prep. And he's been a member of this club for 20 years and he has no idea which way the greens moving on the greens or uh, why there needs to be a flat surface and where to hit it and uh, what areas that we want to hit it. And he's a brand new student of mine. So I said, the process that you're going to go through is a lot different than you just going out and playing a social round of golf. I mean, to be your best, you need to be not only prepared physically, but you need to be prepared mentally. So I said, you know, this caddy book, this is your, or the, the book that we, I gave him, this is your workbook. Um, you know, we need to go out and figure out where we're going to hit it and set up a strategy for how you can play your best. It's not just hit it out there anywhere in the, in the green area and then hit it to the next green area. We want to hit it to certain points of the golf course and hit it to certain points on the green. So we have the best chance to score and, I mean, he was just blown away, um, and I was blown away because I had never really uh, experienced somebody that didn't know anything about yardage books or, or anything. And he said, oh, so that's what people pull out of their back pocket when they're playing on the tour. And I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's what they do. And I said, you know, you're looking at the Masters this week where somebody's played for 20 years, so they have books, uh, you know, where they've written the weather 
down, you know, if it's cold and that's the book they're going to use for day one and two, maybe, or if it's windy, that's the book they're going to use. Um, because everything changes when the external elements change. And just expand on one of the points there, Brian, because I think you, you make a very interesting point. The grain on the green is something that we're mm-hmm. not all familiar with. We hear about it all the time, but we're not familiar right. with what it means and how to understand what it is. Talk about that. Sure. It's where the sun grows. So the grass will grow towards the sun and it, and it might lay down uh, later in the day. Um, you have to pay attention to near the hole where there's a lot of traffic. Um, you have to pay attention to ledges. You want to know which way the grain's moving, which way the, the grass is growing, whether it's going to slow your putt down or whether you're, it's going to speed your putt up. So we play on bent grass up here. So that's, you know, pretty easy to read. But when you get on Bermuda's uh, grass, it definitely affects your putts. So having dinner the other night with a client too, he was in, in Arizona and he said, man, some putts just seem so slow and some seem so fast and I don't know why. And I said, did you ask anybody there? He goes, no, I, I said, well, it's based on the grain of the greens, you know, and what you're playing on. And, and uh, I said, if you go to Florida, it's a little bit different. If you go to the Carolinas, it's a little bit different. If you're, you know, in Arizona because of the elevation, it's a little bit different. Um, and then coming up in the Northeast, it's, it's different. So, and I mean, it was just blowing his mind. He couldn't, couldn't believe that tour players would know that. And I said, well, it's your, it's, his, it's their job, you know, and the caddies need to know that and they need to help their players out uh, with their reads. So Brian, talk about how, how did you end up getting hooked up with the golf channel and becoming a lead instructor on uh, golf channel Academy? Well, it's a great question. Uh, I belong to an instructor's group called the proponent group where uh, we have some top-level instructors. Uh, and it's a group where there's probably 500 members now, and we meet and, and go to summits. And so they were involved with this upstart um, program with the Golf Channel Academies. And so they selected me uh, early in the process because they liked my brand. They liked what I stood for and what I was doing. And, and I was in a good market and, and fairly well established. So they offered me the opportunity to do that. And it's been been wonderful. So they helped me with my marketing and helped me with programming and, and helped me with with uh, ideas that I might have, how to refine them a little bit better. And uh, one of the great programs that uh, I run is called the New Student Assessments that every Golf Channel instructor does throughout the country. Um, and it's basically having people in and assessing them and then laying out a plan for them uh, with the ultimate hopes that they'll come back to you and and obviously, you'll be able to implement that plan for them. And I've been highly successful with it. My my conversion rate is is the tops in the world right now. So it's been it's been wonderful for me. So what we do is we we have our academy, so we can keep our own brand, and then we co-brand with the Golf Channel Academy. So I have two branded facilities where I'm at. I have one uh, an indoor facility right on the property of the country club that I'm at. And then I have an outdoor facility that's branded as well with my brand and golf channel. And Brian, I want to talk about some of the great videos that you've got available on your YouTube channel and uh, that our listeners Thanks. can find, oh, by the way, by going to the YouTube and putting in uh, Brian Jacobs Golf. But please, you know, when I look at some of the great videos that you've already got out there, Brian, you know, so much of the game, and I was just talking about this with, with Kenny Knox, but is played mm-hmm. from 100 yeah. yards in, and I see so many young players, including my son, oh, by the way, spending, you know, so much time on the tee, you know, because they want to hit drivers, right? They want to see how far right. they can hit the ball. 
But but so much right. scoring has to do with the short game, 100 yards in, the wedges and the putters. Mm-hmm. First of all, talk about the difference between chipping and pitching and, you know, how we can get better at doing both. Right. I think there's a lot of uh, mistakes that's, that are made out there with the language. So a chip is 90% on the ground and 10% in the air, and a pitch is 90% in the air and 10% on the ground. Uh, so once we can identify that to the player, um, everything has to do with setup. So with a chip, our, the ball will be back in our stance. The shaft will be more vertical. We'll have a little bit more weight forward, and we're trying to keep the ball near the ground. Um, our rule of thumb at, at my academy is, number one, we want to have wedge assassins. Um, we want to be people that are spending predominantly, you know, most of our time using our wedges in our practice. Uh, you only hit your driver 14 times, maybe. Sometimes you only hit it 12, but you're hitting your wedges, you know, sometimes three or four times, you know, on a hole, depending on whether you hit greens or not. So we want to be be able to get up and down from anywhere we want and be able to understand the, the shot that we want to hit. So what we try to do is we tell our players to putt first. And if you can't putt, chip. And if you can't, chip, pitch. So we keep the ball on the ground as much as we can. And if we can't, then we have to hit a pitch because the pitch is a more precise shot for the player. Um, obviously, conditions will dictate what you have to do, whether you're in the rough, whether you have to clear a bunker, um, you know, whether you have to have a, a short-sided pin. Um, but we teach our players all the shots around the greens. And and most of our, our better coaches now are teaching from the short game back to the full swing, which I really, really like to see. Um, this is the way that I learned how to teach. We taught putting first, then chipping, then pitching, and then we moved people out. So my players, when they come, uh, they start from 50 yards, and then we move back to 100, then to 200, then to the front tee, and then we move them all the way to the backs. Um, so what we do is we take them out on the golf course, and they have to shoot uh, even par or under to move back to the next level. So then we know that their short games are acceptable. Um, we just keep moving them back from there. So I would encourage your son to stop hitting driver and get to the, the wedge range and and spend his time on the wedge range, hit thousands and thousands of wedges, and his, his full swing will be fine. Um, we, we tell our players also, because the wedge shaft is so short, you don't have much time to make a mistake. Everything happens a lot faster. So um, truly, your best shots are going to be, you know, your wedge shots. So we want to make people um, wedge assassins. When they're, when they're on the uh, golf course, we want them to know exactly what to do in what situation and how to get up and down and, and to save their score for the day. Again, please, folks, go to go to YouTube and uh, search for Brian Jacobs Golf and then click subscribe once you get there like we did today. There's a lot of great videos and content that Brian has out there to help you improve your game. And, Brian, one of the other things you talk about on your website is the importance of writing down your goals and having a plan when you get out and, and you're out on the practice range. Talk about you know why that's so important to do. Well, we do. We spend a lot of time with that. And, and I think our society is so results-driven. Um, and we find it a lot with the kids. It was interesting. I was listening to your interview the other night with Gary Player, and um, there seems to be this sense of entitlement that because I show up, I'm good. Uh, number one, and the other thing too is, is that we don't um, we don't see a lot of planning. Uh, you know, in your business and 
And in my business, we have to set long-range plans, you know, sometimes one, two, three, five years long. And we might have a hiccup here and there in our business plans, but but we ultimately adapt and we fail forward. We stay on the plan, you know, and where we're going. And so I encourage and not only encourage, demand and mandate that we get written goals down for each one of the players. I don't, I don't like it when the players come and uh, say, well, my right elbow is too close to my body. And then my next question is, well, how is that impacting your, your total goal? How is that making it different for you? Like what's happening because of that? So I'll have a number of questions um, based on what they feel and how does that relate to your plan? You know, when you went out to practice, did you write stuff down? You know, how many, how many hooks did you hit? How many draws did you hit? How many fades did you hit? How many times did you chunk it? How many, what was your ground contact? Like these are all things that uh, we need the player to understand that uh, these things affect your shots. It affects your results. Um, and you'll find people they'll get out of the process. So if the process or the, or the goal is to come in and hit nine shots, hit, hit, uh, three high ones, you know, three normal and then three low draws, uh, and they don't make it through that process, they give up, then we have to readapt and get them to re redefine their goals and then make sure that they can perform that because it's important for them to progress. So when, when I talk about written goals for the students, they have a workbook and they come in and this is what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to, to practice with a purpose instead of just going out and uh, hitting balls, and I find that when people have a structure to their practice, they'll typically stay on it pretty well. When they don't, they'll hit a few poor shots, and then they'll go right to their strength. It's already a strength, so we want to make your weaknesses strength. We want to elevate. Uh, if we look at our practice like a ladder, and driver is the top thing that we can do, and our wedges is the bottom rung on that ladder, we want to move the rungs up on the ladder so that your wedges and your driver and your long irons and your short irons are all your top parts of your game. And so that's why to me it's it's really important to have the kids and the adults, you know, write their goals down. We sit down, we talk about it, and then we start to form a, a structure to that based on what they feel they want to do and then based on what I feel they need to do. Brian, just a couple more before we let you go. And like I mentioned in your intro, you have a master's degree in education. How has that mm-hmm. helped you understand how to relate to your students and, you know, the different ways that we all learn, right? People learn in different ways. How has that Absolutely. education degree come in handy for you? Oh, it's great. Uh, I never thought I'd use it, actually. But uh, it, the one, number one thing is that you learn how to communicate properly. Uh, I learned I'm a very good listener. Um, it taught me how to listen better, but it also taught me how to assess learning styles, uh, whether they're auditory or kinesthetic, tactile, um, or whether they're visual. So uh, I might show somebody a video and I might say, what are you looking for? Uh, you know, what are we looking at here? And so someone will pick out their lower body. So that's a, an indication to me that that's what they want to work on. Um, but my job from that point is, is to help them to feel that. And that's why I always appreciate Hank Haney. Uh, Hank moves his players, and so I just related to that really, really well. Um, so I do a lot of kinesthetic learning, and one thing everybody understands is, is kinetics. When you start to move the body, uh, they start to feel things, and at that point, you can start to communicate a little bit differently with them. Uh, remember, early in the process, Hank 
told us uh, and told me that, you know, this was a hard process. You know, this was the hardest way to teach, but you get the fastest results that way. Uh, so I've always used uh, kinesthetic learning. Um, I do do video. Uh, I do not a lot of it with some players and a lot of it with others because they're more visual. And I'm finding that uh, as we, as I get through the, the aging process, even myself and, and working with uh, a lot of younger kids, um, they can't relate a lot of times to kinetics because they're not playing other sports. So we might have to teach them how to throw. We might have to teach them how to, you know, post and pivot. Uh, so these are all things that you or I, because of our age, we, you know, played catch in the backyard with our dad and, and played a lot of different stick sports and racket sports and we're, you know, always busy. Uh, a lot of kids today, um, they're not so much. They're sitting around a lot more. Their health isn't really good. Um, and so a lot of times the parents bring, bring the kids here and you have to talk to them about their function. Um, so that's where my master's degree has helped me as well. Um, to be able to sit down, create a plan, uh, create the best plan for the person based on their learning style. And then we go from there. And Brian, speaking of your YouTube channel, just changing the channel, if you will, here, here briefly, I also do a football mm -hmm. show called Thursday Night Tailgate, where we've been blessed to have many of the game's greatest legends on the show. And I saw your awesome. background picture on your YouTube channel. You've got a banner mm -hmm. of the Bills there in the background. And I we've do. had guys like Jim Kelly and Andre Reed and several members sure. of those great Buffalo Bills teams on the show. Mm -hmm. you got a new coach coming up this uh, this season, several yeah. new players, you know, a lot of player movement from the Bills. How do you feel about where the Bills are headed? I feel good. Uh, I feel, I feel good every year though. So, uh, Eric Wood actually, <laughs> the center, uh, that plays for them is, uh, a good friend and Ryan Groy is becoming a good friend. And I've been teaching players and staff ever since Aaron Schobel played. So I taught Aaron for a lot of years and, and, uh, every year, you know, you're hopeful, but as a, as an old college football player, you kind of look and say, mm, you know, maybe it's not as strong here or there, but, I really like what Coach McDermott's doing. I haven't met him yet. I hope to at some point. Uh, he seems very, very organized. Uh, inside the building, uh, there seems to be a lot of buzz and, and, uh, you know, people are positive and, and, uh, I know they had OTAs or, or a voluntary camp this week and everybody was there, I think, except for maybe, uh, Shady McCoy, but, uh, everybody was there and, and it's not because there's a new coach so much as, as, you know, they want to win. And it's uh, it's fun to watch the guys develop. And, and I've known Eric for about, I think, eight or nine years now, maybe 10 years. And it's so much fun to watch these guys develop, not only their golf games, um, but, you know, their football games and their business side of their life. They're, they're tremendous, tremendous athletes and people. And um, I, I feel very, very confident this year. I, I'm not betting lunch with anybody or anything else, but uh, um, I think the Bills are, are going to have a, I think they're going to have a special year this year. There's a there's a different energy around the building, which is which is great. Brian, let our listeners know how they can follow you both online and over social media as well. Absolutely, uh, it's at Brian Jacobs Golf for Twitter and for Instagram, and then BrianJacobsGolf.com. You can find me um, if you want to send me videos. It's the same, just right through the contact form. But Brian Jacobs Golf, all my assessments on video are free and are on Twitter are free. So just send me messages and I'm happy to take a look. And hopefully uh, the listeners can come up to beautiful Rochester, New York, and we can show them Oak Hill and the Country Club of Rochester and Ridgemont, where I'm at. And we would just love to have people come up and visit our city 
and uh, see all of our beautiful golf courses here, and we have a lot of them. Brian, it's uh, it's been wonderful and a privilege to have you as part of the show today. I hope you'll come back and join me again real soon to share more of your stories, your insights, your tips, because uh, you're fantastic. Thanks, Chris. Anytime, um, I'm open to that, and and I just am really feel so grateful and privileged to have the opportunity to be on your show, and and I just wish you the greatest success and. And I hope everybody enjoys the Masters. I think it's going to be a special weekend. Uh, Thank you for sharing that, Brian. Take care. We look forward to catching up with you again real soon in between now and then, Brian. All the best to you and your family. Thanks, Chris. You too. That's Brian Jacobs. And again, you know, Brian Jacobs Golf and follow him online and over, uh, over Twitter and social media as well. Great stuff. And I'm telling you, Please go on his YouTube site and uh, and, and uh, subscribe to his YouTube channel. A lot of great, a lot of great videos available there to help you improve your game. And like I say, you know, on the on the short uh, short game side, really really great stuff. Uh, I've enjoyed taking a look at that and subscribe. So I hope you'll join me and do that and do the same as well. All right, folks, it's time to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. But before we close up shopping, though, we'd like to remind you about our good friend and PGA Tour pro Jim Estes and the great folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association. Hear a word from Jim about all the great things that they're doing. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Yeah, folks, they're doing some amazing things at the Salute Military Golf Association. To find out more information and to see how you can get involved, go to smga.org. All right, folks, my sincere thanks again to Michael Verska, Kenny Knox, and Brian Jacobs for joining me today. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro on Facebook, and share your feedback with me. That's very important. Plus, give us a like. That's also very important to us as well. Plus, if you got a question for one of our future guests, you know, let me know. We'll get it on the show for you. Go to our website, nextonthetee.net, to see who some of our future guests are going to be. Plus, also check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazari. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Times. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio. It's available on the Armed Forces Radio Network as well. And that show, like this one, is available as a free podcast on our, uh, our, our favorite podcasting site, Podbean. You can also find it on iHeartRadio as well. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we're joined every week by five NFL legends coming on to share you know, their stories from their playing days and add their insights into what's going on to today's game as well. Plus, we also highlight two players every week that are doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. So please check out that segment as well. Again, you can find both shows online. This one, nextonthetee.net and thursdaynighttailgate.com. 
Folks, thanks for choosing to listen to this show today. We know you got a thousand podcasts and shows you have the opportunity to listen to. We really appreciate the fact that you're making Next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors, and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love from the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.